You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. We are in week two today of a brand new sermon series that Pastor Karen kicked off last week for us called Relationship Roadblocks. So, We're in that time of year, as as we said last week, holidays, a lot of relationship things going on, right? I mean, there's some people you're going to spend time with that you see all year round. That's great. I mean, some people you may spend some time with that you don't spend a lot of time with them except for the holidays, right? But it's really not just about the holiday relationships. It's, It's about relationships in general. You know, God just planted on our heart. This is a good time of year to review our relationships, what, what they should look like, maybe some, some things that get in the way. And that's really what we're talking about in this series of relationship roadblocks or things that kind of get in the way of healthy relationships. And last week we introduced a scripture that really is fundamental about how to do relationships well. And so we're going to be landing. We shared it last week. I'm going to share it again today. It's found in the book of James. First chapter, and James said this, starting in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, please take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So that's kind of a a baseline scripture that we said we're going to utilize when we look at relationships because it's fundamental in how to have good relationships. And so last week, uh, Pastor Karen talked to us and taught us about the roadblocks of anger and offense, right? And what we said there was that if we can lower our expectations of people a little bit and also be thankful for God's grace in our own lives, those two things are going to help us not get so angry and take offense so often, right? By, by doing those two things. Now, today I want to talk about two other relationship roadblocks. Pride and false humility. Ooh, aren't you glad you came to church today? We're, we're going to talk about pride and false humility. Come on, pastor. Well, let me tell you what. Pride and false humility get in the way of a lot of relationships. You know, pride can be shockingly obvious, right? Sometimes it's just so obvious. Come on. Even ourselves, we can say, yeah, I'm just being prideful. We certainly can see it in other people, right? (laughs) We certainly can. But sometimes pride is very subtle, right? It's kind of almost oblivious. And and we we can become oblivious to our own pride, right? Someone else can see it, but we may not see it, right? So sometimes pride is shockingly obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes it's a little more subtle behind the scenes. So our ability to recognize pride is huge, is huge because it can hinder our relationships, both with God and with other people. In fact, with God, pride is the very thing that got Satan thrown out of heaven. Did you know that? It was pride, that word pride, that's what got Satan thrown out of heaven to begin with, okay? Scripture tells us this in James chapter 4, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we're going to talk about pride today and a little bit about false humility because I hope by the end of today, some of us are going to be set free from this thing called pride, this thing called pride. All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can drive better than you. 
Now turn to your other neighbor and say, I can drive better than you. Uh-huh. How, how many of you would, would say that? If you just think about it, you believe you're a better driver than most of the people in San Antonio, Texas, right? How many people would, yeah, you don't have to, you raise your hand if you want, but, but if not, you're saying, man, I drive better than them. You, you, you know that, you believe that. Now, see, for me, there's those drivers, you know, my opinion is, why y'all going so fast all the time, man? If y'all would just get up a little bit earlier, leave on time, you wouldn't have to be making up this time on the road. You wouldn't have to be blowing by me like you're on the Audubon. Because wait a minute, man, I want the ability to be able to get over to that turn lane at the last minute. Ooh, yeah. Come on, and if y'all weren't going so fast, I could do that. I could do that better. So come on, y'all just leave earlier. So my solution, I'm right here. Y'all just leave earlier. Don't drive too fast and stay the heck away from me, all right? Now, Pastor Karen, on the other hand, ooh, Lord, she would tell you that if you're in the left-hand lane and you're not going at least 10 miles over the speed limit, you are a big part of the problem in San Antonio, Texas, okay? She's she, she going to tell you that, right? That, that's her number one pet peeve, you know, people in the left-hand lane going at or below the speed limit. Now, and she's also going to tell you, that she drives better than almost anybody she's ever seen in her life. Okay, now, I'm just telling you, come on, that, that's what she's going to say, and you ain't going to convince her otherwise. Trust me. I've been trying for that for a long time. No, it, it don't work. But she's also going to be the first to admit that there's a little pride thing going on because you see, in her mind, if you didn't learn how to drive in H-Town, then you don't know how to drive, Okay. So there is a little bit of Houston pride going on there. If, 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 you know, she would probably tell you that. But, you know, here's the thing. Today, everybody has an opinion about everything. Everybody thinks that their way is the right way, right? And then they're going to tell you about it. So they're going to say, this is the right way. First of all, this is what I think is right, and now let me tell you why, right? Everybody has an opinion about what they think is right, and they're very quick to tell you about it. I don't care whether you're talking about, you know, religious things like theology or people's role in the church or spiritual gifts or end times. I guarantee you can find someone that will give you their answer for all of those things. They have an opinion. They have a perspective, but it also is about everything. People have a perspective about vaccines. They have a perspective about the right to bear arms. They have a perspective about capitalism, whatever. Any topic, I guarantee you right now, you can find somebody that will tell you what they think and why they think it, and that they think their way is the best way or the right way, okay? Well, you know, there were some people like that in the Bible, too. You know that? People had that kind of point of view. We're going to look at a story found in Luke chapter 18, and this is a parable. Remember, a parable is a story that's used to make a point. Jesus was famous for parables. That's how he taught most of the time, was through stories, okay? And this is a story that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18, and it's found in verses 9 through 14. This is what it says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, uh uh-oh, And look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up, except to, he would not even look up to heaven, but instead he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wow, Jesus wasn't mincing any words here, was he? So here you have Jesus surrounded by this group of people. And if we, if we look at the first part of Scripture, it says there were, Jesus sensed there were some in that crowd that had a perspective that wasn't quite right. They thought it was right, but it wasn't right, okay? And so he chooses these two people, the Pharisee and the tax collector, for his story. Well, why them? Because Jesus is always looking at our hearts. I want you to remember that. Jesus is always looking at your heart. You see, he's much more concerned about the why than the what, okay? You see, why we do things is huge. The motive behind why we do things is huge. It, it speaks to our heart. And this parable is all about pride because pride is a heart issue. The end of the day, pride is a heart issue. This is what it says in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard what? Guard your heart. Carefully, it says, because your life, everything you are, flows out of your heart. What is in our hearts comes out in the way we act and the way we speak. That's, that's where you see what's in your heart ultimately, is how, what you say and what you do. And you see, both of these men's hearts had very different postures in this story, right? They were in, their hearts were in very different places. And that's really what Jesus is trying to teach us here. You see, back then, the Pharisees were the religious people of the day, right? They were the rule followers, all 600 and whatever they were. Right? They were about following all the rules. And the people who supposedly had it all together, right? Hey, we're the Pharisees. We got the law. We teach the law. We, they even thought they were the law in some ways. They were trying to hold others to their standard of holiness, right? That's, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Now, today, we, we still have some religious Pharisees, by the way, <laughs> They're, they're in churches right now. There, there may be some of the people that maybe they come to church every week and they tithe and maybe serve sometimes here and there. They project that their life is perfect, that their kids are perfect, that everything's perfect. That's what you see on social media, right? And they love to piss, uh, post pics of themselves, quote unquote, serving. They're, they're trying to portray this picture, right? But here's the problem with a lot of religious Pharisees, there's no real fruit in their life. On the outside, it looks great. Jesus once said to, to another Pharisee, you're, you're dry bones, right? I mean, all the, the outside looks great, but on the inside, you're just, you're dry bones, okay? It's the same thing, right? They're projecting a picture. But today, I'm not just talking about religious Pharisees, because you see, you can be a, a Pharisee or have a pharisaical heart, whether you're religious or not. A pharisaical heart is simply this. It's one that's full of pride and even some false humility, right? 
So you see, a Pharisee could be a person who just thinks and says that their way is the best, right? They're in their own head. Hey, my way is the best. No matter what, could be religion, could be all kinds of different things. Anybody can have a Pharisaical spirit. That's what we're talking about when it comes to pride, right? Because let's face it, not just religious people have pride, right? Everybody struggles with pride. So it's better for them because they're inwardly focused, right? It's about their life, their way of doing things, what's good for them, what they want. And also, pride has a a little, I'll call him his little brother, called false humility. See, because false humility is really just a form of pride, okay? False humility is really just a form of pride. You know, it might be someone who says, uh, in false humility, who thinks that uh, wealth or having things is wrong. You know, maybe they don't have a lot of money, so they think that someone else that does is bad or, or is not right. Yeah, they have all this money. They shouldn't be spending it on themselves. They should be giving it away. Or they, Well, the Bible actually doesn't say that, right? <laughs> the Bible never says it. God has nothing against money. He has something against the love of money. Yeah, significantly has something against the love of money. But money itself, but if you develop a mindset, you're, you're, if you're in, let's say, less than, you know, super rich, you, you can become falsely humble and expect other people to, to, you know, honor you because you're not this or that. Well, that's, that's, that's false humility. We also see false humility in the story itself today. When the Pharisee starts talking about all his holy works, see, he's trying to portray something. And that's what I would say false humility also is you're trying to portray something that really isn't real, okay? You're portraying humility. He's saying, yeah, I'm paying my tithing. I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm doing, but the, his intent in doing that was to make himself look good, okay? That's false humility. His heart wasn't in the right place, right? Whereas the tax collector on the outside People would have thought he was the worst guy. Hey, he's taking our taxes. He's right. But his heart was in the right place. He understood he was a sinner in need of God's grace. The Pharisee didn't didn't express that. That's why Jesus said the tax collector walked away justified because his heart was in the right place. Not on the outside what you're seeing. Okay. So modern day, modern day, maybe there's the person that, Again, projects all this stuff on the outside, shows pictures of them giving stuff away or, or, you know, in other words, they draw a lot of attention to themselves about what they're doing. It's not in my notes. I want you to go back and read Matthew 6, chapter 1. You know what Jesus said? So if you do those things with the intent of broadcasting them so everybody else can see them, they're not worth a whole lot. It's actually what Matthew 6, 1 says. Be careful about that. Because you know why Jesus said that? Because he knew our tendency toward pride. He knew we were, Jesus knows you. He knows me. He knows we are prideful people. And so, so much of the gospel is about breaking that down and getting rid of that because other parts of scripture say God hates pride. He doesn't just not like it. He actually hates it is what the word says. Because pride builds walls. Pride separates from God and from other relationships that we're in. That's why pride is so dangerous. That's why pride is so dangerous. You see, we can become convinced like the Pharisee that simple acts of kindness or charity 
That's the ticket to being good with God. No, it's not. Is God against those things? Absolutely not. Hebrews chapter 13 says God honors the good that we do, right? God honors it. But that's not the ticket. The ticket to God, and we're going to talk more about this in a few minutes, is submission. God wants your heart. He wants you to submit your life to him. That requires humility, right, in order to do that. And so someone that is thinking, well, if I just do a few of these things, but I never really submit my life and heart to God, that's not going to work. It's not going to work because God says, actually, in Psalm 51, God says what he wants, it's called in, in Scripture a contrite spirit or a broken spirit, and he wants a humble heart. That's what David teaches us. In fact, before that says he did, he doesn't really need your sacrifices, your offerings as much as he needs your broken spirit and your humble heart. That's actually what God wants from you. Now, again, are these other, are tithing and giving to the poor and are these things we should be doing? Absolutely. Scripture says we should be, but the motive, what's our motive? What's our reason why? It's important. So I'm going to challenge us today. You know, as a, as a pastor, we are, and Pastor Karen said this a couple weeks ago, I'm just going to remind us of again, but we are to comfort the afflicted and challenge the comfortable, right? That's, that's, that's part of what we need to do. We need to preach the whole part of the gospel here, right? And I love you guys too much to only give you half, okay? And God, more importantly, God loves you too much to only give you half. God's going to give you the whole truth. And so it's important when it comes, especially when it comes to pride, that we know what the whole truth looks like, right? So what is the answer? What is the answer for pride and false humility? It's simply this, real humility. That's the answer. That's the answer to pride and false humility is real humility. Today we're going to learn some ways to avoid letting pride and humility, excuse me, and false humility become relationship roadblocks in our life. In fact, I'd like to share five of them. Five things that we can do to live a life of humility. Number one, examine your own heart first. Woo! Start with ourselves. That's always a good place, right? Look at your motives. Why do you do what you do? Not just what you do. Why do you do what you do? Because the why speaks to your heart. And if you're struggling in a particular relationship, I would say either with God or others, first thing, what are you contributing to the issue? What do you bring into the party, so to speak, that's not so good, right? What, 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 what do you bring in? And if you have pride, that's really hard to do because you don't want to look at what you're bringing to the table, right? But that's always the place to start. You see, the only way to resolve a problem is to confront it. The only way to resolve anything in your life, and pride's no different, is to confront it. You have to, you have to recognize it. And you have to be willing to take it to God. One of the greatest prayers you can ever pray is found in Psalm 139. David prayed, you know, David had some issues with pride. 
And I would say this, this came to me as I was preparing this message. David wasn't the first king of Israel, by the way. There's a guy named Saul. A guy named Saul was the first king. And you know what the major difference between Saul and David was? Is Saul had pride. And he wasn't willing to recognize his mistakes, take them to God and fix them. David was. That's why God said, David is a man after my own heart. Was David perfect? Absolutely not. Did David have pride? Yes, he absolutely did. The difference is David recognized his pride. And he then repented and did something about it, right? And that's really what we read here in Psalm 139. This is what David was saying to God. Search me, God. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. He didn't say, show me the offensive ways of my neighbor. He said, is there any offensive way in me? And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, that's an attitude of obedient humility. That's what we need. We need obedience in our humility, right? So we have to give God permission to get in there and dig and show us where we're prideful. Show us where we're missing the mark. Not so he can condemn us, but so he can help us. See, David wasn't praying this prayer to say, okay, God, tell me how bad I am. He was saying because he wanted to love God more. He wanted to serve God more. He wanted to be the man that God was calling him to be. And he knew that he had to start with himself. God, show me. You know, when we're feeling a certain way about someone in a relationship, whether that be a romantic relationship, a friendship, a work other family, whatever your relationship with is, and you're struggling and you're feeling a certain way, start by going to God, saying, God, what is, what is my peace in this? I, I know I want to go just light them up and tell them all the things that they're doing wrong. Yeah, I know that's your first inclination, right? It's, it's mine, right? <laughs> well, forgive me. Let me just tell you what you're doing. No, no. Start with what are you bringing to the table? What, how are you contributing or not contributing in this case to building the relationship? Because when you do that, you're going to find out real quick that you're adding some gasoline to the fire. Somewhere, somehow, you are going to be, you're going to find that. So you're going to find, what's the gasoline I'm adding to this fire? How, how can I get rid of that and not pour it on there? Come on, come on now. I mean, I can just talk to this side of the room for a minute if y'all want. or maybe No, no, okay. All right. You see, here's, here's the main problem that Jesus had with religious people and Pharisees. It wasn't so much what they did, it was their motives. That, that's what Jesus always had an issue with is the why behind the what. He wasn't always concerned about the what. The what was them just kind of keeping the law. But every time he'd get past the surface and he'd challenge them to think about the why, they got mad at him. And that's, that's basically what happened. The Pharisees would get mad at Jesus because he would call their stuff out. He would say, yeah, I know you're doing all this, but your heart ain't in the right place. You see, the why, the motive behind it is so important. And when you have a pharisaical spirit, you aren't willing to consider that you might be part of the problem. That's what we need. We got we to look at ourselves. So before we go popping off at anybody else, before we start telling everybody what's the right way to fix their life or what's the right way to do this, or hey, let, let's start with us right? Let, let's, let's analyze what can we do or what are we already doing that we need to stop doing and what can we do to improve that relationship? First of all, with God, 
but also with others. Because here's the thing, this side of heaven, nobody's going to be perfect. You, me, them, anybody else, we are not going to be perfect this side of heaven. Let me give you another way that you can uh, help derail these roadblocks of pride and false humility. Be willing to be wrong and apologize when you mess up. Ooh, the room got really quiet. <laughs> That's a hard one, isn't it? That's a hard one. Whenever you make a mistake, just start by admitting it. I mean, sometimes that word wrong is really hard to come out of your mouth. It's hard to come out of my mouth. Sometimes, Pastor can't tell you that. She, she knows. She knows. And yet, that's one of the things, whenever we may be having some intense fellowship, that's one of the best ways that I have found to defuse the situation. Simply say, you know what, babe? I'm wrong. What I said was stupid or was not thought out well or whatever that looks like, but I was wrong. That, man, that diffuses a lot of stuff. That diffuses some anger, emotion, all those things that you want to be feeling when you think you're right. And then all of a sudden you realize maybe I'm not right, right? And I thank God for her because she, she's tenacious about that. She's like, come on now. You know, is this really? She, another thing she reminds me, hey, we're on the same team, right? We're not fighting each other. We're fighting a common enemy, right? We, we have an enemy that's trying to kill us and destroy us. We're not each other. We're, we're on the same team, right? So, you know, and I thank God that she gives me that perspective. And knowing that you're wrong and admitting it, hear me, is not a weakness. It's a sign of maturity and wisdom. When you admit you're wrong and apologize, it is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom and it's a sign of maturity. And it takes courage to do it, though. How many here would say it takes courage to apologize? Admit you're wrong. Yeah, it takes courage. Now, here's the other side. You can't control the reaction of the person you're going to apologize to, though, right? Uh, You know, they may or may not accept your sincere apology. You're not in control of that, but it doesn't let you off the hook from doing it, okay? Whether they accept it or not, that's between them and God. In fact, this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's what Paul's trying to communicate. That's why he used the word impossible, if possible, because you can't control the reaction of another person. You can only control what you do, right? But a great way to get rid of pride is to learn how to apologize and say I was wrong. That's a great way to fight against pride. Let me give you another way that's really important. Serve others expecting nothing in return. Ooh. That can be hard. You know, we sometimes, if we're honest now, when, when we're doing something for somebody in the back of our mind, we kind of have a hidden agenda. Like, well, if I give this, and I'm going to expect that. Or if I do this, then I want them to do that. There's strings attached, right? That's dangerous in any relationship. Certainly dangerous in our relationship with God and definitely dangerous in our relationship with other people. If we have this mentality that if I give, I'm going to get, Okay, 
So we need to learn, if we're going to have good relationships that root out pride and root out false humility with God and with others, we need to learn to serve expecting nothing in return. Jesus showed us a great example of this. It's found in John chapter 13. And this took place when Jesus was having the Last Supper with all of his disciples. This is what the story uh, tells us. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Wow. So what's Jesus doing here? He's teaching us. He's teaching us what serving looks like, how we should serve others. We need to be willing to serve others, whatever that may look like. You know, the, this business of washing feet back in Jesus' time was usually meant for servants, right? And literally the servant of the house, is, is who would normally wash the feet. So this was among the, what would most people consider the lowest job on the totem pole. It was very dirty. Let's think about it. People had, even if they were in bare feet or sandals, if they had any kind of shoes at all, they were in some sandals, but they were walking on dusty, dirty desert roads most of the time. Their feet were really dirty, okay? This was a dirty job, plain and simple. You know, you can see the Anyone here seen the, the show Dirty Jobs where he goes and shows all? You know, kind of, anyway, this was a seriously dirty job, okay? No, no two ways about it. And yet, Jesus didn't think twice about it. He said, hey, let me, let me show you what it looks like to serve. He didn't think he was above it. He didn't think he was uh, too good for it. And how many times, I wonder, do we have opportunities to serve somebody knowing that it needs to be done, but we don't do it? We don't feel like it. It costs us our time, costs us maybe some money, our effort. And we just say, ah, it's not worth it. it that, or that's beneath me. Hey, we ain't royalty, man. Jesus is the only royalty there is. The king of kings washed feet. We can do, come on, we, 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 we can do some things here to serve other people. We're not royalty. We're not just waiting, sitting around, waiting for people to come serve us. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And if Jesus is our example, and I, I am proclaiming today that he is, then we ought to serve. That's what we're supposed to do. We're, uh, a servant is not greater than his master. If our master can wash feet, if he can serve, so can we. And serving does such a beautiful thing in that it helps remove pride from our lives. It helps remove pride. So be willing to serve God and be willing to serve those that you're in relationship with. It's a beautiful way to express love and a beautiful way to remove pride from those relationships. All right, number four, man, Pastor Karen and I went back and forth. And we've told you all before that we kind of write these messages together. And the more, you know, four was, man, she was looking at a different way. I was looking at a different way. But this next one, I've really come to believe is, is so crucial in getting rid of pride. It, it's so important, and it's this: submit to those in authority over you. Let me. Ooh, oh, it got real quiet now. You know why? Because we have a hard time submitting. In the world we live in right now, in fact, I I have not seen it 
any worse in our society than it is right now. We have a hard time submitting to God. And if we can't submit to God, my gosh, we're certainly not going to submit to our husbands, our wives, uh, our political leaders. But it all, it's a domino effect because there's, there's a um, perception in the world that life is all about you. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Life is not all about you. Man, I'm just telling you, it's so, our world would change if we got number four. And let me tell you why. Because first of all, we need to submit to the authority of God. Every, everybody needs to submit to God's authority. He is the ruler of it all, okay? Then on top of that, all of us are under someone else's authority in some way, shape, or form, okay? All of us are, Right? In fact, the Bible speaks of this very clearly, and it says that all authority has been established by God. That's what the word says, right? It's not just, yeah, Jesus is supreme authority, God is supreme authority, but he also says these other authority things and people are actually put in place by God, and you and I have a hard time conceiving of that when we see what other people do or don't do, how other, you know, people we put ourselves under authority, and, and it's really never been probably any worse in our political climate than it is right now, right? Hey, man, there's lots of people that don't like the president. There's lots of people that don't like the Congress. Okay, but we're still under their authority. So what do you, what do, you do in that situation? Do you just blow it off? No, that's not what God says to do. What he says to do is pray for them, right? Let God change their hearts and minds. But if they make a law, we're, we're subject to it, Okay. Now, of course, if there's a law that violates God's law, that's a little different scenario, okay? God's law is always going to be supreme and number one. So never asking you to violate God's law. But for the most part, God's placed these people in authority. I mean, maybe you don't even like your boss, right? (laughs) I've worked for plenty of bosses I don't like. But I always have to remember and respect their authority, the position in place that they hold. Whether I like it or not, submission is not about liking. Let's just be really clear about that. You don't have to like something to submit to it, okay? I want you to remember that. It's really important. What we need to do is give honor to those that are in authority. I also want to, you know, point this out. So a lot of times we'll complain and say, well... I could do it better than they do. Have you ever said that? Like you just look at the situation, I could do it better than they do. Well, and someone that's in authority over you specifically, well, let me ask you this. Can you really? Have you done it better than them? Have you walked the road they've walked? Have you been on the path? Have you paid the price that some of them have paid to be where they are? Most of the time, the answer is no. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback and say, oh, well, yeah, if I was doing this, this is the way I do it. You have no idea what their pressures are. You have no idea what their life is. You have no idea what they're going through and the responsibility that's on their shoulder. Just be careful about that. Be careful about that when you say, well, if I was king of the world, this is what I'd do. Okay. Give them honor. You may not agree with everything that they do. I get that. But you don't have to agree with everything they do to submit to authority. 
Let me say this also. And I think this is right in the middle of this because I think this is fundamental to everything else. When we submit, God will take care of us. And the reason why I say that is this. With submission, we get God's protection. With submission, we get God's protection. So what does that mean? First of all, when we submit to God, we're getting his protection because he says, if you just follow my ways, if you do things the way I ask you to do them, I'm going to protect you. And then even if we submit to those other things or other people in authority, God says, I'm still going to protect you, even if they don't always do the right thing. I, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In other words, God says, I'll deal with what they are doing or not doing, but I'm going to protect you. So see, submission is not weakness. Submission is actually protection. I think of Psalm 91. It talks about being under the wing of God. And then the other scripture that just came to my heart, Jesus looked at Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, if you would just let me be a mama hen and come under my wing. That's what Jesus is talking about. God will protect you. And this is why this point number four, I think, is so important. So on the surface, you know, submission, I don't want to submit. I'm telling you, there's protection in your submission. There's protection in your submission. You know, we're, we're told to submit to all kinds of different people, rulers, authorities, husbands and wives ought to submit to one another is, is what it says in the word. Also, uh, it talks about, you know, the younger generation ought to at least honor and submit to the older generation. It doesn't mean you agree with everything that someone older than you may say, okay? But at the very least, what you, you can do is honor them, honor their position. This is what Peter said in verse 6. First Peter 6, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Wow, think of that image. Clothe yourselves, all of you, by the way, young, old, in between, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So even if you may not agree with the, you know, say you're a grown adult, you're out of your house, your parents are still trying to tell you how to live your life. Okay, you don't have to agree with everything they say. You don't even have to do everything they say. What you ought to do, though, is honor their place. So don't spend time arguing. Don't spend time trying to prove why you're right. You know, there's, there's, there's an honor there, okay? We submit, and when we submit to authority, it's such a great way to guard against pride. And let me talk about number five now. So the, the last way that we can live a life of humility and combat the roadblocks of pride and false humility is this. Live with a thankful and a grateful heart. Woo, that's good. The next time you want to think about how right you are, or why you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, why, you know, your ideas are the best, I want you to do this. I want you to remember what God has done for you. I want you to remember what God has done for you. And when you do that, that's going to help remove some of that pride. That's going to help keep you humble. You see, Jesus suffered a cruel death on a cross, alone 
and abandoned by his closest friends. And he did that so that you could be free from your depression, your anger, addiction, your sin. Yeah, you know that sin that still keeps coming up every once in a while? Jesus died for that. He died for that for you specifically. Those of you that have Jesus in your life right now, I want you to ask yourself this. Is your life better than before you knew him? Is your life better because you have Jesus and Savior? I hope and I believe if you answer that question honestly, you would say it is. And when you're tempted to be prideful, when you're tempted to want your own way, remember that. Because it will help you live with a thankful and a grateful heart. Hey, if nothing else, look where you're sitting right now. You're sitting in padded chairs in a comfortable room in a country that you have the right to vote for the people you want to vote for. You know, there's lots of people in the world that don't have what you have right now. Look at where you be grateful for that to start with, right? Be grateful for the fact that God gave you breath this morning. God did not have to wake you up today. I'm being as honest. God did not have to wake you up today. God does not have to. God doesn't owe you anything. Let me just stay on that for a minute because I think that's a source of pride for many of us is we have an entitlement mentality. You are entitled to nothing. I am entitled to nothing. By God's grace, we get the gift of life. By God's grace, he sent a savior to die when we should have died. We don't deserve anything. But because we are sons and daughters of the king, we get to have everything. Wrap your mind around that. You deserve nothing, but you get everything. You get it because of God's grace. When you remember that, it's helped you to be thankful. It helps you to be grateful. It helps you to fight against pride. Let me just speak to this in terms of gratitude. Let me, in fact, I found a great quote that I want to share with you. It's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Those of you that may not know, Google him. Lived in World War II, paid for his very life for the gospel, was a theologian, was, was a pastor. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Life cannot be rich without gratitude. Life cannot be rich without gratitude. Gratitude is a key component to rich relationships. Both with God, as we express our gratitude to him, it bonds us, as we express our gratitude to others that we're in relationship with. It expresses appreciation. Is there anyone in this room that does not enjoy being appreciated? Does anyone? It's universal. We love to be appreciated. God loves to hear about how much we appreciate him. So this concept of gratitude is so key to getting rid of pride and false humility because when you express appreciation to God or others you're in a relationship with, you're building a bridge. You're building a bridge. You see, pride puts up walls. Gratitude builds bridges. And that's what you want in your relationship with God and your relationships with other people. Pride and false humility 
are big roadblocks. But with God's help, the roadblocks to our relationships that we can knock down and overcome. When we examine first our own heart, when we're willing to be wrong and to apologize, when we serve others and not expect anything in return, when we submit to authority, and finally, when we learn to live with a thankful and a grateful heart. My friends, pride can blind us, but humility helps us see. Pride can blind us, but it's humility that helps us see the real truth of things. And in your relationships, when you can't seem to get others to see your point of view or you're trying to get someone to see your point of view, just ask yourself this. Are you seeking to understand them or is your goal for them to understand you? Remember what James said, be quick to what? Listen. You can't understand anything unless you listen. And James said, be slow to speak. It's not about point of your communication. If it's always about you trying to convince people why you're right or why your way is the best way, that's not going to do much for your relationship with God, and it's certainly not going to do much for your relationship with other people. So seek to understand. And when we make understanding our goal, then we will find ourselves acting from a place of real humility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, thank you for how you love us. Thank you, God, for the way that you love us in your relationship with us. And Father, will you help us now as, as we seek to remove these roadblocks of pride and false humility from our lives? Father God, will you help us first to come to you and let you show us where we need to change? God, let us examine ourselves first with you right there with us. Father God, will you be or will you help us admit when we're wrong? and learn how to apologize. God, will you help us learn how to serve others as your son did? May we follow his example of serving others, expecting nothing in return. And God, help us to submit every part of our life to you and to your authority. And Father, where appropriate, help us to submit to others that are in authority. And finally, God, will you help us live with a grateful and a thankful heart? For God, you have given us everything. Every blessing we have, your word says, comes from you. Not by our own efforts, but because you so graciously and lovingly give us everything that we need. And Father, your word actually tells us you are prepared to give us more than we could hope or even imagine as we submit our lives to you. So God, we love you. Help us, help us to remember that you don't like pride, that instead what you want is a broken heart or a broken spirit and a humble heart. And Father, help us to do that in Jesus' name. 
Now, with every eye still closed, every head still bowed, I wonder if there's someone here today. You don't yet have that relationship with Jesus. But right now, you feel the Spirit whispering to you, yes, now is the time that I want to submit my life to Christ, that I want to make him the Lord and the Savior of my life. And if that's you, that's a very simple thing to do. It's just a simple prayer, and we're going to pray it together right now. And I would just ask everybody to join in this prayer. Even if you already have accepted Jesus, this is a great chance to renew that in your life and also to support someone that may be doing that for the very first time. So would everybody just say this with me? Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, wash me clean. Come into my heart. Help me to submit to you and to make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. Can we just... If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.